Friends, hear this word from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they had heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit In those days, they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I um, <laughs> as I said last week, the emotions are all on the surface. Uh, on the surface, uh, a friend of mine told me that that's just because I'm getting older, um, that I've become more tender. I think is the word that was used. Uh, but I found myself um, emoting as Jeff was reading uh, the word. But I, for me, I think so much of that is not because I'm getting older. Uh, it's because of how much. I am thankful for God's word and how much um, we have to be thankful for in the fact that we are able to gather here today and it's because of the faithfulness of these men and women that uh, Jeff just read about and their faithfulness to live into who Jesus called them to be. We're not here without them and their willingness to respond to the Holy Spirit. And that is going to be the charge and the challenge and the invitation to you this morning to wrestle with how am I responding to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. In a lecture that was given uh, to Yale Divinity students and faculty some years ago, and I tried really hard to figure out who it was that gave this lecture and who said this, but I, but I could not. But in a lecture that was given um, some years ago, it was suggested by the lecturer that the greatest challenge that the church faced 
in its vitality and in its ability to live into its mission as the church was not the rampant secularism outside of the church. It was the diminishing Christianity within the church. And we would much rather it be the rampant secularism that is outside of the church because it is so much easier when the problem for us in anything in our lives, particularly in the life of the church, when the problem is out there. And it is because of them, and it is because of decisions that are being made out there. But I think it is so important, and it is what we have the opportunity to do every time, collectively and individually, we open this book, we are holding a mirror up to our own lives and are able and invited to ask the question, am I living into this story? Am I taking up my role in this unfolding story that is still unfolding on this earth? And so for us to be faced with, and, and this, this lecture was not the first person who said this, Soren Kierkegaard called this vaporized Christianity. John Wesley, in fact, the, the, the one who was responsible in conjunction and in concert with the Holy Spirit was responsible for the movement that began that now has become what we understand as the United Methodist Church, began not as a church but as a movement of the Holy Spirit. John Wesley is quoted as saying, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. That's not his concern, that people called Methodists will cease to be. But he says, I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will, see, will be the case unless they hold fast both to doctrine, spirit, and discipline which with, which, with which they first set out. Francis Chan, in his book Forgotten God, written some nearly 15 years ago, suggested that the light of the American church is flickering and nearly extinguished, having largely sold out to the kingdom values of this world. Friends, if Jesus, as the author of Hebrews suggests in Hebrews 13.8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if Jesus being co-equal with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God existing in three persons. If this is true of Christ, it is true of the Father. If it is true of the Father, it is true of the Holy Spirit. Being the same in power and purpose yesterday, today, and forever, then the problem is not a drain on the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem is with our focus, our expectation, our willingness to live into who God, through the Holy Spirit, by the power of Christ, is calling us to be as his church. Francis Chan would go on to say in his same book, suggests that part of the problem is that we don't really want to be led by the Holy Spirit. He said, in fact, we don't really want to be led by anything other than ourselves. And, and I want to deal with the first part of that statement out of the gate. It, maybe we have some in here who come from a, a charismatic or Pentecostal background, and you're, you, you know, you're sitting there and you're thinking, hey, m more of the Holy Spirit, please. Uh, like, I've got my anointing oil in my pocket, spirit flags are in the car, my, my um, shafar is with me. I can go get that thing, and we can light this place up. Thank you. Some of you, however, are like, whoa, 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 
the amens and the claps, that just made me a little uncomfortable. That doesn't feel very United Methodist to me. Except for the fact that you have to remember that our roots as Methodism were an empowerment and movement of the Holy Spirit that people just responded to. We're a little bit worried about giving the Holy Spirit control and agency in our lives because we don't want what happened in Acts chapter 2. Like, what if that happens here? What if that does happen here? Because the work of the Spirit is never to point to the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is always to point to the Father. It's always to point to God. It is always to point to who Jesus is and what Jesus came to accomplish on this earth. And if you ever see what is claimed to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that does anything differently than that, then that is not the Spirit of God. Because the purpose of the Spirit of God is always, always to elevate the work and the purpose of God. So what if that did happen here? Maybe it means that that is what's needed in this place. Many of us, for over a year now, have been praying for revival. Revival does not happen without a move of the Holy Spirit. Revival does not happen in your life without a move of the Holy Spirit. And revival does not happen in the church without a move of the Holy Spirit. And revival does not happen in the community without a move of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to echo what Jeff prayed. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what you see fit. Now let's deal with the second part of it. We don't really want to be led by anything other than ourselves. We see that so early on in the lives of children. Right? We, we don't teach them to be rebellious. It is, it is in our nature to rebel. It is in our nature to rebel against anything that, that we deem is not, does not fit into our, our understanding of the way that the world should be or the way that we want to live our lives. You tell a child they cannot take a cookie from the cookie jar and that child thinks, I want a cookie. Therefore, I'm going to find creative ways to get a cookie or cookies Years ago, pre-pandemic, when we had uh, food that we offered on Sunday mornings, uh, we had a plate of cookies on the table, and, and I will never forget, and I mean, this was, this was back at the beginning of Crossroads, but Luke Edwards, who was at that time our, our college student and, and our, our lead worshiper, uh, Luke Edwards said that he, he saw a little girl walk up to the table, like walk past it, but as she's walking past it, she like spies the cookies. And it's, you know, she's maybe like eye level with the plate of cookies. And she walks past again. She's eyeing the plate of cookies. And she walks up another time and looks around and just goes and reaches for the cookie. And he said, maybe we should all reach for the cookie. <laughs> it's this beautiful moment. But it's likely that she was told at some point, <laughs> those cookies are not what you need to have at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And yet there was something so compelling about that that she had to have it. We don't teach this to children. It is something that is innate within us. We learn this from our first parents. We see it play out in the garden. God gave them everything that they needed. 
everything that they needed for life and fulfillment. God walked with them in the garden, fellowshiped with them in the garden, and said, you can, it's all yours for your enjoyment, except for this one thing. Because I know that if you reach out and take this one thing, you will not be able to stand up under the consequences. For our protection, God said no, made that off limits. And yet our first parents reached for that and took that which God said no to. And we'll we'll come back to that in a moment. But I want us to consider that in, in our inability and our unwillingness to be led by anything other than ourselves or to ask the question, you know what, I, I'm willing to be led by others as long as they support my view of how my life or this world should go. Otherwise, I, I'm, I, I've got this. We have this, this, this inherent desire to live autonomously, which is one of the things that makes living into the fullness that Jesus comes to offer so hard for us. Because Jesus says, in addition to saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, one of the things that he is clear on is that in order for us to be able to have that life, to gain that life, to live into that life, which he made possible by his life, death, and resurrection, it means that we must die to ourselves. If anyone wants to come after me, They must daily take up their cross and follow me. They must die to what they think is most important and be willing to receive what I think and know is best for them. And it is the great tug of war when it comes to following Jesus. And and I believe that we all experience that in different ways. It plays out differently for all of us in our lives. But we want things that are going to, to support the way that we think this world should, should work or the way that we think our lives should work. And, and Jesus' disciples were, were no different. In Acts chapter 1, remember uh, I said a few weeks ago, who was the author of Acts? Thank you. Luke, author of the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. And I challenge you, encourage you, great reading opportunity this summer. Read the Gospel of Luke Skip John, John's great, but go straight from Luke, straight into Acts. Same author telling this unfolding story. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. In my former book, that's the gospel record I've written. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convictions convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And I'm just going to read on a little bit further. They were looking intently up into the heavens, uh, to the skies he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
Quit standing around. Jesus has just told you what you must do. Jesus has just defeated death. And he has continued over a period of 40 days to reveal himself to his followers. We have record of Jesus breaking bread with his disciples, of sharing a meal with his disciples. Both behind closed doors and, and on, on, a, on the side of the lake, on the beach. Time spent with his disciples following the resurrection. And, and in one of these moments, his disciples, these men that he, that he trusts, these men that he's called to carry on his, his mission of bringing the kingdom of God to bear on this earth, come to him and say, okay, so now this must be the time when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel. This now must be the time when, when we, we are going to take up arms and we are going to fight our oppressor and we are going to stand independent, which is what we have wanted to do for generations and yet we keep finding ourselves you know, subjugated by larger world powers. Now must be the time, Jesus, like you, you've defeated death. There's nothing you can't do. So now must be the time when you're, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And, and Jesus so lovingly and, and yet very intentionally tells them that's actually not for you to worry about. You're, you're asking me a question, but, but guys, you're, you're asking the wrong question. And, and that's one of the things that we wrestle with. We have all kinds of questions about things that God might be doing in this world or more specifically in our lives or in the lives of, of people that we love. And, and I wonder if sometimes we're just not asking the right question. And, and praise God, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit helps us do is to filter that. But he says to them, hey, that, that, I'm, I'm actually, I've got that taken care of. I, I don't want you to get caught up worrying about that. That's not important for you. What is important for you is to be patient and to wait for this gift that I promised. <clears throat> this gift that will allow you to receive power, this gift of the Holy Spirit that will allow you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see then later in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then again in verse 1, chapter 2, what uh, Jeff read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What was their posture after this particular encounter with Jesus that Luke records? They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And here what we see is the call that Jesus gives them. The command is essentially to be patiently and persistently present. To be patiently and persistently present in the thing that Jesus had given them to do. And, and essentially what he says is, hey, I, I don't want you to worry about the periphery. I just want you to be present in waiting. And I love that their posture of waiting was not stagnant. It was an active posture of waiting in which they found themselves before the Lord in prayer. Sometimes I believe that we miss where Jesus might be at work, where the Holy Spirit might be stirring because we are so distracted by things around us in this world. Whether they are concerns 
uh, that we have for our own lives or someone that we love or whether they are concerns of our own making or whether they are just concerns because of the state of the world in which we live. And I'm not saying we should not be concerned about those things. But in your concern, the posture that we are called to have is not one of worry. The posture that we are called to have is one of being patiently persistent and lifting those things up to the only one who can truly, truly do something about it in prayer. Because at the very least, it keeps our focus on the Lord. Be a praying people. Pray about the things that you are concerned about. Because in doing so, your focus is laser, lasered in on one place, rather than allowing ourselves to be a people of worry. And then we find ourselves just trying to put out fires. When what God's hope is and what God's heart is and what Jesus' intention is, is not that we would be a people who put out fires, but be a people who are on fire for the things of God, who have received the fire that cannot be extinguished. Is there concern? Is there, is, or should we look at the church in, in America and say, yeah, that light is flickering? And if we are honest, we would say that. But friends, the promise is that is a light that cannot be extinguished. The light of Christ that has come in the Holy Spirit is a light that will not be extinguished. The promise is that the church will not limp across the finish line when it is all said and done. The promise is that the church will march victoriously across the finish line. The question is, are we going to be a part of that company, or are we going to find ourselves standing on the sidelines wishing and hoping that we had gotten to be a part of it? Jesus tells his men his followers, his disciples, to wait, and so they wait, and the day of Pentecost comes. The day after the Passover, not immediately after the Passover, but some days after the Passover, another one of the festivals in which the people of God travel to Jerusalem, travel to the holy city, so the people are there because it's what they do, and God leverages this customary thing to accomplish this thing that Jesus promised. If you are in the habit of coming to church, of being a part of the gathering of God's people on Sunday mornings, if you are in the habit of tuning in online week in and week out, we have two of our dear friends here from California who tune in week in and week out. We're so thankful to have you in our midst uh, this morning. My, my prayer, my hope for you is that you would approach this time with expectation. Because even though this might be a regular part of the rhythm of your life, there is nothing to say that God cannot leverage this to do a work in your heart and a work in our midst that takes our focus off of self and places it on the things of God and what he is up to in this world. So they're gathered together, and then we see this unbelievable thing happen, this thing that would, would kind of set us uh, a little bit on edge. Let's be honest if it happened in here. The sound of a rushing wind. It doesn't say a wind entered the place, but the sound of a rushing wind. Imagine hearing the sound of a rushing mighty wind and not feeling any of its effects. That would be disconcerting. And if that's not enough, then the tongues of fire that come and rest above those who are gathered. And then I think this is perhaps for me the most incredible piece. Is that these men who are gathered, these who are gathered, who are Galileans begin to speak. And they begin to speak in languages that are not their own. And, and what do we see about uh, that's written about the disciples um, later or the apostles later in Acts chapter 4? 
These are Peter and John before the, the religious leaders. When they saw the courage of John, Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. Apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, there's no reason that these men should be able to declare the wonders of God in languages that are not their own. And yet those who are gathered in that place from every nation under heaven, that would have been every Jewish nation, all of, all of the, the people that considered themselves God's people were gathered together, but from, from, different, uh, from different places, from different nationalities, from different cultures, from different people groups, and yet they are all able to hear and understand the wonders of God spoken in their own native tongue by these men who should not be able to speak these languages. And I love that there are some in that crowd who discount it and say, no. They've had too much to drink. And I think that Peter, his response is to tell like the first joke of the early church. It's only nine in the morning. Like, that's early. But I also love that Peter doesn't spend a ton of time defending what's happening. He leverages what is happening to explain something deeper. And he does so by pointing back to the prophet Joel, essentially saying, hey, that is this. That thing that Joel spoke about, that thing that God spoke about through the prophet Joel, that thing that was promised is this right here. What you are seeing, what you are experiencing, what you are hearing is the thing that God foretold through this prophet ages ago that this would happen. That is this. Now, in order for us to appreciate that, I want you to to consider something. And that is kind of the work of of the Spirit. We tend to to think that the Holy Spirit comes on the scene here in Acts. That up until this point, the Holy Spirit has been silent. The Holy Spirit comes in a way in Acts that's unique, but the Spirit has absolutely been at work. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, and the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being and that word in the Hebrew for breath is the same word for spirit. And even before that in Genesis 1 we see that the spirit hovered over the deep present in power. Imagine this picture as it's recorded in this creation account. Imagine this picture of of humanity, of the man being formed. And God breathes into the nostrils of this man the breath of life. Like, just try to imagine it this way. Our our first father opens his eyes, and what does he see? The face of God. An intimate connection. In Genesis, the Spirit gives life. 
we see in Exodus that the Spirit is present and empowers. The story of Moses. The Amalekites have just been defeated. And his father-in-law Jethro is pretty amazed at what's happening. You know, his his son-in-law has successfully led these people out from under the hand of of Pharaoh and and has led them, is leading them to to freedom. They they defeat the Amalekite army. And so Jethro is is delighted about all this and he comes and, and, you know, just, I want to see what, I'm pretty proud of my son-in-law. I want to see what's going on. Exodus 18 Verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees. And I love this. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God. Stay in your lane, Moses. Your chief aim here, your purpose, is to be the one who is focused on God. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from All the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. Have the people bring their cases and their disputes before them. Stay with me. We're in Numbers chapter 11 now. Numbers just gives, maybe kind of gives us a, allows us to see this through a different lens. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought, me this, brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, uh, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, perhaps it is the Lord speaking through Jethro, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. 
I love this. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listening among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and, and, and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke to him and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And so we are here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And we see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we see the Word of God being shared with all who are gathered. If you kind of trace the trajectory of, of God's Word through the narrative of Scripture, you see that as God begins to raise up prophets, the God of Word, the Word of God comes from outside. There is a prophet raised up who is given a word to speak from outside into the lives of the people or into the nation. And then in the arrival of of Jesus, the word of God, the one who was with God from the beginning, the one who was God, the word dwells among. And yet here in Acts, we begin to see even something different. The word of God is given within that it may be shared. Moses said, generations, hundreds of years before, I wish that the Spirit would fall on all of God's people. The word that was without, that dwelt among, is now given within, and this is what Peter points to in quoting the prophet Joel. I'm going to close with this. In Joel chapter 2, we see that God promises to send an army of locusts as judgment against a rebellious people. God disciplines his people because he loves them. And what they will face and what they will experience is calamity and, and shame before other nations. And yet God doesn't just stop there. Well, that's done. That was... That was a heck of a cloud of locusts. I'm pretty proud of that. And brush his hands and, and move on. He says, even, even now, declares the Lord, this is in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and, and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And then further on in chapter 2, and this is what Peter quotes. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on all people. Gosh, those words of Moses, if, if only God would pour out his spirit on all of his people. 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's words to the people gathered there are simply, that is this. What you are seeing, what you are experiencing is God making good on a promise. Every promise that God makes is yes and amen in the person of Jesus. And Peter is now giving permission. He's saying, hey, what was foretold is now happening. These men who are of no value to society, really. These men who are troublemakers, these men who you say have had too much to drink, actually they are drunk on the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God promised He would pour out on His people. The Spirit that would allow them to see visions, the Spirit that would allow people of all ages to dream dreams, that would allow them to prophesy. And prophecy, and I can't stress this enough, doesn't mean foretelling the future. It means speaking the truth of God into the present. It means being able to see where God is at work and what God is up to and name it. Have you ever had someone in your life, as you are wrestling with something, as you're trying to grow through something, whatever it may be, to come in and say, hey, what if what's happening is this thing that God might be doing? To give you a perspective that is so much different taking your focus off of the problem and putting instead your focus on the potential and the possibility. And Peter's promise, God's promise through Joel, Peter's words to the people gathered there and and his words to us who are the church is that the Holy Spirit is given so that we all might be a people who proclaim and speak God's truth into the world around us this word that is given within, that is meant to be shared in our surroundings. That it's not the job of Peter and the 11. They've been given a role and they know what their role is and they're empowered in that role by the Holy Spirit. But Peter's saying it's not just for us. It's for all of you. God does not discriminate. Men, women, old, young, you all have a role to play in this unfolding story of this kingdom that is breaking into this world. There will come a day when Jesus returns and establishes that kingdom forever. But friends, that day is not now. How do we know that? Because we're still here, Jesus hasn't returned, and we still have the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And it's not because the Spirit has lost power or been diminished in some way. I believe it is because we are focused on the wrong things that we miss the opportunity to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We miss the opportunity to see where the Holy Spirit might be at work in the lives of people around us and and might be at work in our own lives. Convicting us, challenging us, shaping us, encouraging us that we might become more like Jesus on this earth. Paul says in his second letter to the church in Corinth where where the Spirit is, there is freedom and there is transformation. You are freed from the guilt. You are freed from the voice that tells you you are not enough. You do not belong in the family of God. You do not belong in the kingdom of God. If people only knew these things that you've done, well, there's one who knows and he loves you anyway. 
And he has made it possible for you to live in relationship with him because you are forgiven. And not only to live with him, but to be a part of what he is doing on this earth through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So you get to say to that voice, nope, where the spirit is, there's freedom. I am free. I am a child of God. Only one person gets to define me, and that is my heavenly father. It's not you, and it's not this world around me. But I've also been given a work to do. And maybe we'd be like Nehemiah and the guy's trying to call him off the wall. He's like, no, I'm not coming off of this wall because God has given me a mighty work to do. I'm gonna keep my hand to the plow and continue to do what God has called me to do. And the only way that I can do that is because of the Holy Spirit in me. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about how God might be at work in your own life and the reason you keep bumping up against a wall and the reason that the things that you keep reaching for in this earth are not satisfying you and fulfilling you. It's because they weren't meant to. They were meant to point you to the only one who can. Friends, as the church, we have a story to tell, and it is a good story. It is a story in which we know the ending. We know that there will come a day when Jesus returns, that every tear will be wiped away, that God's dwelling place will be with man. And we're not there yet, but we are a part of this kingdom that is breaking into this earth. What is the vision that God is giving you for his church? What is the vision that God is giving you for the lives of people around you? What are the dreams that you have for what could be? And I believe that we need to stop thinking in such limited terms and thinking just about the end of our lives, if I can just make it there, but to realize that in the hands of God, our lives have an eternal implication. I shared with you last week that in part, I am here because of the faithfulness of my grandmother to give her life to Jesus. Who are the lives that will be impacted and affected because of your willingness to say yes to Jesus and to invite in you the work of the Holy Spirit because there are dreams yet to be dreamt and there are visions yet to be seen and there is work yet to be done God is not finished yet Amen Amen Amen